Welcome to Storybook the Podcast with Heidi Spear and friends. Today I'm joined by Drew Perowit. We invite you to sit back with a cup of tea and join our discussion on friendship. Hi, everyone. Today, I have Drew Proet on the podcast. And Drew, I'd love for you to introduce yourself for us. Absolutely. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. Uh, so my name is Drew Proet. I'm the host of the Broken Brain Podcast, and I am the CEO and uh, partner at uh, the Dr. Hyman Enterprises of Companies, uh, my dear friend and also a dear friend of yours. And um, most importantly, I'm a human being, just like everybody else who's here, trying to figure things out, trying to share my journey. Uh, and I'm passionate about friendship and uh, sociogenomics. Yeah. So, Drew, one of the reasons that I wanted you on my podcast is that from the moment I met you, from the moment I met you, you were so kind and so welcoming just as far as meeting me. And the reason it struck me is that the reason I'm starting to have people on the podcast is it's people who the listeners can learn things from if they want to either go to their podcasts or things like that, like you have a wonderful podcast. It's incredible and game-changing for on so many topics. And then also that the person is so genuinely kind, because for me right now, I feel that it's one of the best ways that we can connect with each other is if we meet at this baseline of kindness. And every time I've talked to you, you radiate kindness. So I just wanted to say that such an amazing quality as an adult, but always through my life, feels like one of the most magical and important things that I have. So I wondered if you could talk to me about why you started talking about friendship. And also, I think you had a really cool story or at least something inspirational from your dad that you were talking about one time. So I wonder if you could tell us a little bit about, about that. Yeah, I'll start off with kindness and I'll go into friendship. I, I would say that thank you for those compliments. I, I really appreciate it. I think being kind is important to me. And I'll say that primarily out of like one of the kindest people I know is my dad. And when I would ask my dad, who was always looking out for the underdog growing up, who was very mindful about how he would talk about other people. You know, it doesn't mean that he was being a people pleaser because sometimes people pleasing, sometimes people think they're being kind, but they're people pleasing. He wasn't doing that. We can come back to that topic. He was just really being thoughtful and mindful of other people present, present to them, their situation, their needs. And as I got older, I can remember, I would ask my dad, like, what made you this way? And my dad said, you know, when I was younger, I dealt with a lot of adversity because I was teased. My dad had polio when he was younger and through a process of treatments and his immune system, he developed Bell's palsy. That's the paralysis of a portion of your face. So he couldn't use the muscles on the left side of his face. And so as a kid, you look different. All of the kids are going to make fun of you for that. So having been made fun of when he was younger and been in that situation, he always remembered that what it felt like to be the person that was kind of excluded, the person that was picked on, the person that was that. And anybody who's gone through that, who's been the new kid, anybody who didn't fit in, anybody who's been through a really tough time where they thought like things were going well, then all of a sudden something happened in their family life or they didn't have the economic resources they had. There's some, if there's a little bit of awareness along with that, because just bad situations by themselves don't necessarily make you a good human being. But I think my 
grandparents in particular helped my dad put in context. And he said, okay, I don't want other people to feel in that same situation. So just on a small scale, like my dad is not, you know, he's just a normal guy in his community trying to do the right thing. He's not like this big humanitarian. He hasn't written a book on the topic or anything else like that. He was just like in my normal life and being the boss of a psychiatric uh, company and just being a person in my family. I'm just going to try to be a good human being who goes out of their way for other people. And I just remember that story was so powerful for me because I was like, that makes sense. That really makes sense is that it's only when you've been on the receiving end of being the person who didn't fit in, being the person who was picked on, that you realize how far kindness goes. For anybody who's listening, have you ever gone to a party and you didn't know anybody there? You're excited to be there and you want to make friends, but you didn't know anybody and you're just in the corner kind of like, okay, should I talk to people? Should I not? Should I act like I'm drinking water so that I just look like I'm busy? Should I check my phone? There's all these games that our mind plays, but really we were just hoping that in this situation, somebody might come up to us and talk to us. And then have you ever been in a situation where somebody did, they came out of their way, they came to talk to you, they came to connect with you and they didn't make you feel like an outsider. They made you feel like you were part of the process. We all know how good that feels. And my thing is that most people feel like that on a regular basis. Even some of the people that we look up to that we think that would never feel that way often feel like that often feel like that, that they're not included, that they don't have friends that understand them, that they don't feel like there's a sense of human connection of people on the end who really get them. So why not by default, what would happen if we just showed up like that for most people that we deal with in our lives? And I think that's a game changer because we have such a short period of time that we're here. Why not be known for somebody who is is welcoming, is kind, and is looking after other people? So that pivots into the friendship conversation. Because if I would zoom out even further on an extreme level, one of the things that we're noticing from, there's different estimates, but one of the things that we're noticing from national surveys that have been put out there on a governmental level, the UK has done the most amount of research on a governmental level on this, is that loneliness is on the rise. And loneliness has- about that so much, Drew. I've been hearing about it so much. Yeah, and Vivek Murthy, the previous surgeon general, actually has a book coming out on this topic all on loneliness. And we know that loneliness can have detrimental effects to our health. Well, not everybody knows that, but now you do. Uh, Some studies in the past have equated it to being similar to smoking cigarettes. There's some debate on whether or not that's true or not. But I think that one thing that we can see is that loneliness, which is the perception of okay, here's my actual interaction, understanding, and connection with other people. And here's my, here's where I want it to be. So here's my perceived connection, uh, interaction with other people. And here's where I want it to be. It seems that since the dawn of the industrial age with the spike, with the advent of the internet and social media, we are seeing an increasing amount of loneliness that's out there. So, where friendship was so baked into our society and where friendship was part of being in a village and in different communities around the world, it's now actually something that we have to talk about. We have to talk about it because it doesn't come as natural as it used to. In the past, it was very simple. Now, this had good and bad reasons why. So it's very simple. You wanted to be, even as a kid, if you wanted to find a new friend in your neighborhood, you go to your next door neighbor's house, you'd knock on the door, you talk to the parents, you say, hey, can Emily come out and play? 
you could only be friends with your people in your ge- geographic area. Now, the downside of that was if there wasn't people in your area who you felt that understood you or were into the things that you were into, then you were stuck with those friends that were there, right? So that's the downside. We sometimes romanticize the past and we're like, we don't live in the village anymore, so it's more challenging to make friends. Well, there was downsides to that as that too. I love when you, you know, I love pointing that out, Drew, because I, I really try to think about that a lot, that when we get nostalgic for a time, I love trying to talk about what, what is it that we're missing? Like, what about that was really great that we're missing? And then remembering some of the stuff that, the new advent of whether it's technology or whatever else it is, is bringing to our lives and how to balance that out. That's exactly it. So in the past, yes, it might've been a little bit more straightforward to make friends and have human connection because most people were plugged into an existing version of that in their society. You were part of your church group. You were part of your kids' uh, programs and activities that were there. And some people still are part of those items. But then when you start developing, and this is the beauty of the modern day and age that we live into, when you develop your own interests, when you develop your own areas, the things that you want to talk more about, maybe you don't like gossiping. So you don't want to hang out at that bowling club that everybody meets up in town and you want to go somewhere else. You don't want to hang out at the bar. You don't want to just watch sports. You want to do something else. So that's the beauty of this day and age. But what it brings up is where previously it was more straightforward. Now, as human beings, we're actually trying to redefine our own rituals and communities. In fact, modern day life is one big search for people to find and create their own new human, human connection and communities that are there that match with where they are in life. They don't want to just be a round peg in a square hole. They want to find their tribe, their community. So there's pros and cons. Just the challenge is, much like functional medicine and wellness and food, we have to talk about it before things change. So if we don't talk about the difference between fake food or food-like substances and real food, then we actually don't know how to nourish ourselves. So same thing goes on a tribe and a connection level. If we don't talk about what we need in our modern-day society – then we'll never actually create deeper, meaningful human connection that actually addresses at this core problem that we're seeing now, which is loneliness and isolation. And by the way, just the last thing I'll add in before I pause here, this doesn't mean this is somebody in a dark corner of their room who has no friends and sees nobody ever. You could have a ton of friends. In fact, a lot of the loneliness studies that are out there, there's a big survey by the insurance company Cigna. Most people who reported that they regularly or often felt lonely, had a lot of friends. So how is it that if you have a lot of friends, you can still feel lonely? Well, it turns out it's not the quantity. It's the quality. It's the depth. It's the connection. Do you feel that you even have one person in your life who truly gets you and has your back? That is actually more important than anything. If you don't have that, you can have a hundred friends, you can have a thousand friends and still feel lonely or isolated. And that's what we're seeing today. So Drew, I love all of that. And what I especially, especially, especially love that you made that clarification, that it isn't that person who might feel left out or ostracized, even in just to go back to the example about your father, that it isn't just someone who may be picked on. It isn't that. It's everyday people. It, and that's why I wanted you to talk about it. I'm so excited about you talking about it because I feel that I'm lucky that I do have some friendships like that because they're so important, even though I like the friendships I have too that maybe aren't as deep or they don't know me as well. Those are really lovely to have. And I'd like to have 
coffee or I don't really drink coffee. So I like to go to have tea with people. It seems like such a colloquialism to say have coffee, but I like to go have a cup of tea. And, but the deep friendships really are what I think, like you said, prevents me from feeling what's epidemic about loneliness. I have this sense that when I'm around certain people in certain contexts, I can't think of an exact specific example, but generally where people might seem shy or withdrawn in the group or with other people and not very outwardly kind or friendly, whether it's like in a small group or even just with certain people, maybe they don't connect with, maybe that's why. But when they're with me, they're very kind and open, but then with others, they aren't so much. So there's a perceived difference about that person. So I guess what I'm speaking to is I wonder if there's something about a shyness. Could it be that keeps people from feeling comfortable being outwardly kind? Yeah. So I think that there's two components to that. So there's, you know, all human beings are constantly running their narrative, their story in their mind. And the second that you meet somebody new, especially that you don't know, everybody has their uh, movie reel. And it's often at a subconscious level. And that subconscious movie wheel is one of the main reasons why it's very hard for people to remember other people's names at a party. Like you ever gone to a party and it's like, you know, sometimes people are like, I can't remember anybody's names or even you've gone through that. Usually it's very difficult to remember people's names when we're thinking about ourselves. And most of the time when we meet somebody new, we're actually thinking about ourselves. partly just out of survival, right? When we meet somebody new, even before they talk, first of all, our mind naturally will place a judgment on the situation. And it's always interesting to see what kind of judgments we have on people that we've never met before. But the second thing is, Many times, whether it's visually, auditorially, color-wise, a sensation, a feeling, there is the, okay, I'm about to meet somebody new. What does this mean for me? And sometimes it brings up, do they think I'm pretty? Do they think I'm ugly? Like, even if people don't think of it on using their prefrontal cortex, it's happening in the background of their brain. And you can often see this when people say, and are present in meditation and you start using meditation as a tool to sort of watch the thoughts that end up happening in different moments that are there. So sometimes shyness is an introversion of protection that's brought in. It's a part of a natural response that's there because uh, that's just how it is. Some people are more shy than others, but all human beings, whether they're outward or whether they're inward, they all have a story or a pattern that's happening. So what I often ask people to do is that the next time you meet somebody new, just see if you can pick up on some of those thoughts or those patterns that are there. Even if it's you adjusting your clothes on a small level. Sometimes I would see you know, a friend of mine adjusting their clothes or that sort of thing. And we were having this conversation. We got a very, very deep. And I was like, he was asking a similar question. I was like, He's like, how do I start to notice those thoughts that are going on? I was like, just notice the subtle ways that you adjust or what might happen and see what that brings up. He's like, you know what? I always pull my shirt down around like my waistline. And there's this part of me that feels like I don't want people to feel that I'm overweight. And that's like the first thing that comes up, right? And it's like, why would that come up? Like people are just meeting you. That's like in your head, that's your own story. That's your own thing that is going on. So we all have versions of that. And I've seen that most human beings want to actually be liked. They want to connect with other people. But sometimes these stories and these insecurities can get in the way. 
And that can cause us to retreat in interesting moments. The other thing I'll share is this. My dad had uh, one of his mentors. My dad goes to kind of like a, um, uh, it's the equivalent of to like a Bible study course, but they studied the, the all different religions and with a heavy emphasis on the, the Bhagavad Gita from the Hindu tradition and the Upanishads. So there's a teacher uh, at their local um, temple, the Hindu temple, and uh, my parents have since moved, but they would get together regularly every week and they would go and read a chapter and see what does this mean for them, right? Very similar to like a Bible study group or a, a group of individuals. And I don't know exactly what the chapter was, but then his um, mentor, his teacher was saying, I want to talk about shyness because the thing that I want you to understand is that if you are insecure and you are not putting yourself out there because you're worried about people judging you, so you're holding back, you are really being selfish because if you're a good human being, which most people are, right? I genuinely believe that you're robbing people of the opportunity to even get an essence of your energy. You're robbing people of the opportunity. If you hold back, you're robbing people of the opportunity to get to know you. You're robbing people of the opportunity to learn from what ideas or books you've read, from just the genuine smile, the human connection that you have. So that was very interesting for my dad because my dad has been shy from having that Bell's palsy as a kid and feeling probably subconsciously and a little bit consciously that people might be judging him based on his looks that he has. And that really clicked for him because he was like, I do that. I don't want to be too much because I think, you know, how do, will people judge me? Will people feel this or that? And then I just realized that's in my head and whatever they're thinking, that's on them. So let me just go ahead and be kind anyway. So I don't know the answer, but those are two possibilities of reasons that sometimes the mental games that we're playing can put us in a situation where we would be more shy or not more forthcoming or welcoming to other people. The last one that I'll toss in is just not being present. Sometimes when we meet other people, we're just in our own head about the thing that we were doing earlier today, the situation that we're going through. People are dealing with their own problems. And when we're not present, we can't step into a place of empathy. And empathy is seeing ourselves in the other person's situation, in the other person's circumstances. And it turns out, I had a good friend, Dr. Omid Naim, who's an integrative psychiatrist here in Los Angeles, who said, so much of kindness and so much of friendship is based on empathy. And empathy is having shared circumstances and experiences. And in this day and age, between devices, distractions, media, other stuff, there's a lot of things that get in the way of that. And if we can step out of those things and have those shared experiences and actually connect, it's more likely that the empathy and the kindness would show up. When you and I were talking previously about this podcast and we were talking about if it stays fun and if it's something that a person enjoys doing, they'll keep up with it and they'll keep doing it. I find that that intersection of fun and purpose-driven is such an exciting place to put awareness and attention on where we put our attention energy grows, where we put our awareness, the energy's there. And that's where the energy is. And so I really love that framework that it, where are you putting your attention and to really be mindful of what direction that's going in. Yeah. And I think uh, something just very simple that I often share with people is that the more critical we are of others, the more critical we are of ourselves. This is the main reason why hypercritical people, we all know somebody that might be hypercritical, are so unhappy. 
because they've trained their brain to find the fault. And if you train your brain to find the fault in other people, when those other people aren't around, which is the vast majority of time, it's going to start looking at you and it's going to find the fault in everything that's there. So one thing that's important is that we can use this as an opportunity or an indicator that if we are in our most critical moments of other people, we find ourselves criticizing other people without any sort of productive goal or constructive feedback that's directed towards them. It's just a, you know, Eckhart Tolle says, when we are sitting in traffic and we make the red light wrong, right? Like, oh my gosh, this light won't turn green. By default, whenever we make something wrong, we are saying that we're right. It's our ego. Our ego makes things wrong because the counterbalance of it is like, oh my gosh, there's so much traffic. Like this light isn't turning green. By default, almost kind of like a sugar high. It's like a quick sugar burst for our ego to say that if everybody else is wrong, then I'm right. But we all know that there's a sugar crash that ends up happening. So when other people aren't around and there's other things that, that aren't there to criticize, that internal voice starts to turn on ourselves. So that's a good measure and gauge of our own spiritual progress and our ability of not getting in the way of ourselves with any project that's out there with anything that we care about is to just continue down the pathway and not make it about us, right? The first uh, female prime, prime minister of Israel, Goldie Meyer, I forgot, I'm mispronouncing her name. She said, uh, stop being so uh, humble, right? You're not that special. Like, it's not about you. Let's not make this about you. Let's not try to be perfect. Let's not try to be whatever fit in, it's not about you anyway. It's about the people that are out there that we're trying to help with the work that we're doing. These are all lessons for our own internal reflection. I mean, we very much moved off the topic of friendship, but really it's, it's like these, these comp- when we get better at seeing the games that our own mind plays and we're more aware of it, it's just easier to ask ourselves, do we want to keep on playing this game? And are we getting the intended result that we want to do? And ultimately everything comes back to that. Our own internal awareness, our self-awareness of our of ourselves for the work that's important for us and the way that we want to give back and the way that we want to spend our limited time here on this planet. If anybody takes anything away from this podcast, here's like the big thing that I'll that I'll that I'll share um, is that money and relationships, right? All relationships, but specifically romantic relationships are the two biggest things that society tells us that if we have money and success or we find the right partner or person in our life, but I'll say relationships as a whole, then we'll finally be whole and complete, right? Every Disney princess movie for like young girls, all the Hollywood romantic love stories, any kind of stuff about success and society that's inside of our culture, And those two areas, I would argue, are also, when I say money, success, career, and relationships of all sort, but especially romantic relationships, those areas which society tells us are the biggest areas that would actually contribute to our happiness, once we have them, quote unquote, figured out, I actually would say are the biggest areas for our spiritual growth. It's because society promises us and tells us that once we have that figured out, then everything else will be great. Nobody tells you that about, you know, other areas, maybe a little bit like health from a looks standpoint, body image and that sort of thing. And 
that's why when there's friction in a relationship, instead of making it that it's the other person's fault, I'm just going to ghost them or I'm not going to put up with them. When we actually dig in and massage that, that's where our spiritual growth comes out of. Because it's very easy in the culture of Instagram and social media to say, fire your friends, just let them go. And sometimes that might be the case. But other times it's like, actually how you show up for this person for a friend who's hurting will make you a better employee, will make you a better partner to your husband or wife or boyfriend or girlfriend or whoever it is, will make you a better parent. Dealing with conflict resolution when times are tough and dealing with these, un- un- these challenging circumstances helps improve every aspect of your life. And there's that saying, which is that if somebody's hysterical, it's historical. At some point in time, and the Gottman Institute has shown this with couples, that the foundation of arguments between couples, you know, the Gottman Institute, John Gottman and his wife became very famous because they were featured in the book Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. They had a 90% accuracy of predicting whether or not a couple would get divorced and they would actually run these studies on it. And they would practice this process called thin slicing where they would look at the frequency of particular types of conversation and, and characteristic traits that would show up. They called them the four henchmen of the, of the apocalypse. So they would see how often does belligerence come into the conversation? How often does criticism, how often does a person, even if they look like they're giving a compliment, attack somebody else's character? How often does somebody in the conversation stonewall? And what they found is that for these couples that had built up a lot of resentment, and this happens with friendships too, it all starts with early resentments that were never addressed. So I I love the reflection that you're saying, how does a person handle each circumstance and that it can make you better in so many different aspects of your life. And I think that's why friendships, whether they last or don't last, like you said, romantic relationships, whether they last or don't last, what fruitful opportunities we have to learn about ourselves. And like you said, I love how you keep repeating this, Drew, because it's one of the things that I think about all the time, our brief time on the planet. I love that you keep saying that because I feel like I'm always zooming out to the fact that we have such a short amount of time And how does that change our perspective in our relationships? It's a very, very, it goes by very, very fast. I was, I'm really just in this process of noticing how, what my age is and really thinking about what I've done so far and what I might like to do with any time that I have left. And I think I'm, I'm zooming out a lot to that perspective. And it sounds like you, you do that as well. And I, I really appreciate that perspective. Thank you. Yeah. I think it's, it's so important because it puts the context on everything else that we do. If we have a little bit of time here and also at the same time too, to have the patience of like, we have, it's, it's like the push and pull. It's like life is short, but also have patience with the things that you're working on. It's the combination of those two things to not be in an urgent, everything has to happen this year. You know, that whole phrase of we tend to overestimate what we can accomplish in a year and underestimate what we can accomplish in 10. That's like the push and pull. Love that. And um, yeah, you know, fr- friendships and, and human connection is just so much a part of that growth. One of the things that I wanted to be sure that I asked you about before we, we close the conversation, just to make sure that I get it in there, I'd love if you could talk to me about the importance of having friends who are people that we see potentially on a somewhat regular basis. And I think you have your Thursday morning 
men's gathering or something. I wonder, could you talk to me just a little bit about what that is and share a little more about it? Because I love when you post about that. What is that men's thing? Yeah, so there's something called the Rosetta effect that was made popular by this little town called Rosetta in Pennsylvania. And it was studied in the late, in the mid 60s. There was a researcher that uh, met a local doctor from this town that was primarily made up of Italian immigrants who moved from Italy to this little um, town in Pennsylvania. And they had set up and recreated almost like an Italian village of local people that all had moved to this area. And they were in similar industries and things like that. And this doctor had mentioned to this researcher at a local university, you know what's really crazy? Nobody in my town under the, under the age of 50 has died from a heart attack. And that was not the national average at that time, right? The stats were a lot different. And so they decided to study this town. And something that they found is they looked at the food, they looked at the water, they looked at all these different factors. And they realized that one of the important components, which is now popularized by the Blue Zones and the work of Dan Buettner and so many other individuals, is that how these people were living had a lot to do with their longevity. The men, which they looked at in particular, the, the average men, uh, man in the group in the city was part of two social two social groups that were there, whether it was the church or whether it was a, you know, after work meetup, uh, like lawn bowling, whatever it might be. So, you know, you can Google this and people can look this up, but this got coined, uh, Malcolm Gladwell and a few of the people have written about it since there's even a documentary about it. It's got coined as the Rosetta effect that maybe how we live and how our, our relationships and in that village, they had Three generations often living under one roof. Now, I'm not advocating for going back to that because that doesn't work for everybody and that would be some people's worst nightmare. <laughs> but there is some components that we can take away from that. And one of the things that we can take away in modern day life is that anybody who's tried to text a group of people and get them, to get, get them together for something knows that because of the demands on our schedule and the own interests that people have, and the fact that a lot of people may prefer to actually just watch Netflix because they get more entertainment through that and just being at home than meeting up with other people, we have a lot more options. So when you try to schedule something, you're constantly working up against everybody's options that are there and everybody's demands with modern life. So I advocate that one of the practical ways that you can take advantage of some of the lessons and studies in the space of sociogenomics, how our social relationships impact our genetic expression, is to have something called an opt-out event. An opt-out event is a reoccurring event on your calendar. could be once a week, could be once every three months. Between you and even one other person, you know, or a group of friends. In my case, I have a group of friends that every Thursday probably 30 out of 52 weeks in a year, which is still a lot, get together for a quick walk. We meet at 7 a.m. and the walk is done at 8 a.m. I'm lucky I'm in Los Angeles year round. It's pretty much nice weather. It doesn't rain that often. Uh, but I've heard of people doing this even in colder cities where they would meet at the mall and they'd walk around the mall. And we walk and we talk about what's going on in our lives, not just what's working, but also often what's not working. In fact, we call it a question of the week. So Somebody brings a question of the week to the table that every guy in the group gets discussed. We'll talk about money, who's, you know, when you were young, like who was somebody you really looked up to, who's, you know, on International Women's Day, we talked about who are the women that have had the biggest impact on your life separate from your mom, you know? 
um, we have all these interesting questions that we would bring up and, and talking about these brought us closer together. And really the ritual of regularly getting together without always scrambling last minute to say, who's hosting? Where's it going to be? What's that going to be? Like to divide it up and to make it just a regular thing takes advantage of something that often happened in societies that we lived in, which is ritual. When you have ritual in your life, there's some part of your nervous system that knows that you are looking forward to getting together with people, that you're not alone. You're not on this crazy rock that's floating through space all by yourself. You're here with other people. And I think that's especially important in this day and age where our lives get so busy. And sometimes people look up and they feel like, why do I feel so alone? Well, I actually haven't had deep and meaningful human connection in person in the last three weeks. Of course you feel alone. So that's why I advocate for an opt-out event, meaning it's on the calendar and the only reason you tell the group is if you're not going to make it. I absolutely am so glad that I asked you that question. I am so, so glad. That sounds like such... There's so many options in life, so many options of things that will work for people. And I love that you put that option on the table. And the thing that I want to add to that as I think about the different friends I have in their lives, I think what would be important for somebody who might be feeling on the spectrum of not sure that they have a group of friends yet or who that group is and wanting to connect, that you start an opt I would guess you start an opt-out event first by making sure that you're including people who are looking for that same thing you are. I think there are enough people in the world looking for connection, looking for a group, looking for friends. And if you don't already have those friends or you're not sure who those people are, that you might think about, hey, who were the people at work who really seemed like they would like some connection? Maybe think about who were those people who were looking for it? Because I think there are enough people I'm noticing. There are people who are out there looking for a little more connection. Like I, I meet people like that a lot. And there are people I meet a lot who really kind of aren't. Their lives are full enough. Maybe they have lots of children or their parents aren't doing well. Or So there are some people who already, I, and I'm not thinking about your situation specifically because sometimes we already know who our tribe is or who those people are. But for those people who are maybe, like you said, feeling lonely, maybe don't have this set up yet, what's coming up for me is, and asking if you agree or not, like I said, I feel like there are different people. So maybe starting out with, hey, who are those people that have asked me if I want to have tea or who, who are those people? You can really sense that there are some people looking for some friendships and some people not. Do you agree with that? Do you find that to be true today? Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, uh, Sanjay Gupta did this whole series on CNN where he talked about the different age groups where loneliness sort of, um, and social isolation peaks. And naturally it's all the transition times that we'd imagine, right? Our early twenties when we're leaving for those who went to university or like graduated from high school a little earlier and are now getting into the workforce, they're separated from their group of friends that are there. Uh, people, when they become a parent for the first time, right? They often go through very isolating times and they have new challenges on their plate. When people's are empty nesters and their kids go off to school. And then in, in like, uh, like the late seventies or that sort of thing where maybe sometimes people deal with situations and times where they can no longer take care of themselves and they have to move into a nursing home or move in or get more supervised care that's there. And when I was looking at that, what it brought up for me is that you never really know what transition and place that people are in life but if you can f create some intentionality for the people who are interested, then you're more likely to get some sort of commitment for wanting to do it. That could be a book club. 
in my case, this man morning group in Los Angeles was, I just took a bunch of guys together who had just moved here and didn't know a lot of people. So, so are motivated. you saying, I'm so sorry to interrupt, but I'm wondering, so you're saying that you started off not knowing them well. Uh, I knew two of the guys well, and the rest of the group I didn't know. And now we've become some of the closest, we'd like, those are my closest friends. And what I'm hearing you say is that part of the reason they've become so close to circle back to something else we were talking about is that you're creating the connection based on meaningful conversation. You're not creating the connection. You have a question of the week. You have a steady time that you meet and you're talking about ways to get to know each other on a deeper level. Yeah. And we're also relying on each other. You know, we open up about what the tough things are that are going on and people share what the challenges in their relationship. And somebody chimes in and says, you know, I have a friend who's a really good therapist. I would love to put you guys in touch. Or somebody says, you know, they're, they haven't been as intentional with their finances and they really need to like clean up their budget. And somebody else chimes in and says, dude, you know, that's kind of what I do with my clients as a financial advisor. I would love to help you out with that. Like, you know, when you open up and you talk about what's not working in life and where you need help, you know, in addition to all the celebratory moments that we have, you're relying on each other. And there's no true friendship. A lot of the friendships that we have today, because we are less, my core thesis on friendship is that in the past, friendship and human connection was so baked into our DNA because if we didn't have other people, then very few human beings could completely survive on their own. You couldn't fetch water, hunt, get food, chop down wood, everything like that. You couldn't do that on your own. So that's why human connection was baked into our DNA. And that's why even our vagus nerve, you know, and polyvagal theory, so much of it is about when we don't see human connection for a while, our body starts freaking out. When we don't see other human beings, our body starts to feel like, okay, smoke alarm is going off. We're all by ourselves. We're isolated. We have a higher threat state. We're not going into rest and relax. We're going into, you know, fight or flight because we are not around other human beings. So it's actually in our DNA that we need human connection, right? That's in our DNA because it's baked into our survival. Now in this day and age, you could go months without meeting another human being that you're dependent on survival. Yes. Okay. You need somebody to keep the internet on and keep the lights on at the, like, you know, at the, the power plant, but you don't know them. You don't have any relationship. Yes, there's some guy in California that's planting your strawberries that you buy, but you don't know him and you've never met him before. So most of us can actually live without any deep and meaningful human connection. So what ends up happening is that we don't have reliance on people that we know. And the only way to create depth and the only way to create real connection is to not just celebrate the highlights and the moments of like Instagram friendships where we're just going to get together on our birthday and we're going to go to a concert and we're just going to do fun things, but it's actually to have the deep human connection when times are not good. And that's actually what bonds people together. So one of the reasons that we're close is because in challenging times, we've had to rely on each other. And on the most important level, you know, I would say this. We all need one person in our life that we can be honest with about what we're dealing with. Nothing is tougher than when we feel like we're going through a challenging time in life alone. 
whether that's dealing with the mental health issue, whether that's having a challenging you know, time with some aspect like raising kids or something in your relationship, whether that's feeling like you're doing well in your career and you're really good at it, but it's actually not the thing that you want to do. We all need somebody in our life that we can be honest with, that we can have that deep connection with because being understood is so important to our nervous system. And if when we don't have that, that's when we find ourselves in a place of loneliness and isolation, no matter how many friends that we have. So if there's one thing that everybody took away from this is that to ask themselves, honestly, do you have one person in your life and that person doesn't have to live next to you? In fact, when I've talked to a lot of people and I've done my own informal survey on my podcast listeners that are out there and interviewed other experts on, on the podcast, I asked them, do you have this person? And they say, yes. And I'll say, is this person, do you see this person regularly or do they live nearby you? And more often than not, they'll say no. So we don't have to have that person right next to us, but we just have to have them in our life. Maybe they were somebody that you knew before. Maybe they're somebody that you grew up with that you still have that connection with. But most important, we, we have to know that we can pick up the phone and we can call them and we can we talk about those things. And if you don't have that, now we have an important goal to add to 2020 that's going to support every other goal in your life. That is so wonderful. Thank you so much, Drew. I am so grateful that we had this conversation and I feel that it's going to be so meaningful for the people who are listening and the various ways they can both pat themselves on the back, I think, for saying, wow, great job on the friendships I've worked on, and also ways to be inspired to continue to deepen and, and really think more about the friendships and the value that they have. So could you let us know how we can learn more from you, how to either find your podcast or just tell us how we can get more information from you? Yeah, I have a podcast and I try to weave in friendship topics on it pretty regularly. It's called Broken Brain. You can find it anywhere you find podcast and you can search for it. Uh, and that's really the area that and Instagram is where I'm most active. I'm Drew Perot on Instagram. Um, and that's it. That's wonderful. Drew, thank you so much. I so appreciate your time and your kindness. It was an honor to be on. Thank you. Have, thank you for having me, Heidi. Love the work that you're up to. And I appreciate the invite. Thank you.